Good morning. Hope you guys had a great morning. Oh, man, I'm kind of out of it this morning. So if uh, I seem a little confused, it's because I woke up this morning and had water in my basement again. So uh, not bad. The empty thing is the basement's empty, so it couldn't be too bad. So I just had to vacuum water up at 6 o'clock this morning. And my wife's home watching the sump pump. And uh, we're going to replace that right after church today. So if anybody knows how to do that, meet me in my house right about 12 o'clock and we're going to have a party. So uh, actually I put an alarm on the sump and uh, the alarm didn't work. So, uh, so that was great. A fantastic day. So um, <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, this morning, actually, usually I'm in here kind of doing stuff. So this morning, because I didn't get home, I uh, didn't get here till about quarter to eight, usually here at six o'clock. Um, I just stayed in the office. I said, Chris, you do an announcements, please, sir. And uh, I'll, I'll, see, I'll see you right before. So I happened to look at the schedule and realize they're singing the last song. I better get out there. So uh, that's kind of how this morning's been. We've been the last few weeks. That doesn't matter. Uh, we've been for the last few weeks talking about, last couple of weeks talking about a little letter that's in the, um, I'm just throwing stuff on the floor over here. A uh, little letter that's uh, in, the, in the, uh, the New Testament. Something probably we normally don't read much. But something that's very important, a little letter called Philemon, only 25 verses long. Uh, it's basically uh, something that, uh, uh, that so often we just kind of skim through. I know that many, many times I'd read this letter and really not spent time uh, focusing on it and studying it. But began to realize a few weeks ago I was going to do a three-week series and ended up doing a four-week series. That Next week we'll finish up this little book. And uh, Carl Fig, my accountability partner, sitting down there, he was going, man, I mean, I'm looking at that. I'm trying to figure out how you can get four weeks out of there. And uh, just as you read it and begin to study it, you begin to realize there's more there than you think there is. Basically, the little letter was a personal letter written to a guy named Philemon by the Apostle Paul, uh, written about a person named Onesimus who had been a slave uh, of Philemon. And he had escaped, had taken off, met Paul in Rome while he was in prison. Uh, he accepted Christ uh, under the leadership of Paul, we, we believe. And then uh, Paul encourages him to go back and make things right with his former master. Uh, and, and, and that's what the book's about. The first week we talked about the focused on the first, uh, or the, actually the verse that's probably the key verse in this whole book is verse 11. That says this, formerly, formerly Onesimus was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And the key phrase there the first week was formerly, but now. Formerly, this was what was happening in his life, but now. This is what's going on. And, and that was great news because the issue for most of us in life is this. is so often the formerly stuff, the, the, the background of our life, the things we've done in the past, so often control our present And even direct our future. And so the good news of this little letter of Philemon in verse 11 particularly was this whole thing of of, you don't have to stay the same. Formally, but now. And then last week we talked about how uh, probably more than anything else in the book of this little letter of Philemon, we learn more about Paul than we do about Onesimus or Philemon. We learn a lot about Paul's character and the kind of person he was. And we know that from the background that Paul was uh, formerly had been a person who persecuted Christians. Formerly he'd been a person who was probably an angry, just uh, religious zealot is what he had been for a long period of time. 
But now God had changed his life and he'd become a different type of person. And last week we talked about the two types of persons that we so often either we are or we encounter in life. And we use the terms balcony people and basement people. I don't like the word basement this morning, by the way, but uh, <clears throat> really don't even like it at all. But the issue is, is that balcony people are people who encourage us, who lift us up, who help us to go to a higher plane. They're the people in life that are encouragers to us. But basement people are people that pull us down, who are evaluators, who people who, who focus all their attention upon, you know, just judging us instead of helping us. And I asked you last week, who are, the, who are the basement people in your life and who are the balcony people in your life? And what kind of person are you? Because Paul was definitely in this little letter of Philemon, and we see him throughout uh, the epistles that he wrote, the letters that he wrote, uh, that Paul had become... Formerly he'd been this way, but now he had become a balcony person, somebody who lifted others up. He had made a, it made a huge change in his life. And this whole series has been about around this idea of change, that God can change us. And as he changes us, what kind of changes does he bring about in our life? Now, this morning, what I want to talk about is continue on. Um, we looked at verses... Uh, verses uh, 4 through 7 last week. Today I want to look at verses 8 through 16. And la- next week we'll finish up with the last few verses of Philemon. This morning I want to talk about this whole thing of uh, in verses uh, 8 through 16 uh, of a principle that we see that's not only there, but it's Jesus talks about this same principle. And it's illustrated incredibly well here in Philemon. I want to tell you, if there's been one thing that has caused me pain, and caused me just grief in ministry. The one thing more than anything else that, pro- that causes me that is the prolific rate at which so many Christians, people that call themselves believers, how often they easily burn bridges and reject relationships. So often in life, it's really easy. People say, well, I'm just not going to deal with that person anymore. And they take off in another direction. I mean, we're in a world now where I call it church hoppers and shoppers. And people just kind of like, if they don't like something at this church, and usually it's not a something, it's usually someone. And the good news is for me, it's not always the pastor. So uh, sometimes that's true, sometimes it's not. But sometimes people have this, this, this kind of conflict, and I see it over. Every church I've been in, I've seen this over and over and over again where people have conflicts with one another, and the next thing you know, they're gone. And that's not the way it should be because the Bible tells us that we're not to be people who just run from every conflict that we have. The conflict actually in our relationships needs to be something that helps to grow, help us to grow. Matter of fact, Jesus talked about that in the New Testament in, in Matthew 5 where it's called the Beatitudes. And he, and he says this, he says, he says this in verse nine, uh, verse 9 of Matthew 5. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons or the children of God. Blessed are the peace, not peacekeepers, peacemakers. People who get involved in the process of bringing reconciliation between people. Now, this morning, what we're going to talk about is a, a direct application of that. You know, sometimes when I give you a share messages with you, most times there's probably broad general principles that we talk about, things that you can take home broad. But I want to tell you this morning, this is not one of those sermons. The principle here this morning is very specific and to the point. And if you don't get it, it's because you're not listening. 
Now, I don't mean you, I'm saying you're going to do it because it's not going to be easy. But if you don't get it, it's not. This is a very specific. This is black and white. This is not gray. This morning, this principle that God calls us to be peacemakers because it's spelled out so incredibly well here in in this passage of scripture. Now, let me just illustrate it to start off with this morning. Let me say it this way. If you know two people who are believers, who claim to be believers in Christ, and you have a good relationship with both of them, but for some reason they have conflict with each other, you are called by God to be a peacemaker between the two. Let me say that again. If you know two people, parents, child, friends, other people around you, whatever. If you know two people who are believers. Now, this, this works somewhat with non-believers, but some of the principles work with believers because part of the thing is ex- expectations we have of people. But if you know two people who are believers that you have a good relationship with, but they have conflict with each other, one of the things that God calls me and you to do is to be a peacemaker, a bridge builder, to help reconcile the relationships that we have. And so often the reason we don't do that is because, guess what? It's messy. It is messy sometimes. You know, and, and so often what we want to do is we just want to be the good guy. You just, we want to be the good guy. Everybody likes us. You know, it's just wonderful. Well, the problem is with that is that that's kind of some kind of, you know, not real relationships. Because if you have a friend that you have a relationship with and they're not reconciled with somebody else and you're not helping the situation and you know the other person and you have some influence there, then guess what you're doing? You're just kind of like playing a game with them. You're not being real with them. So this morning, what I want to talk about and think about this for a few minutes is this, that changed people are used by God to heal relationships. This whole book of letter of Philemon, it could be really called changed. Changed people are used by God to heal relationships and build bridges. Now, the question is, how do we do that? So let's talk about it. This morning, there's four principles. Four key bridge-building principles that we see here in this letter of Philemon between verses 8 and 16. And we're going to look at that this morning. So if you have your Bibles this morning, you might want to pull it out, uh, turn to to the one page in your Bible that's where Philemon's at. uh, Right before Hebrews, kind of about, I think it's about 10 books right before the end uh, end of the Bible. Unless you got maps, which makes it even further from the end. And, and so that's what the deal is this morning. So we're going to look at four principles here uh, real quickly this morning. And hopefully can understand these and how they operate. How do they help us to become? How do they help us to build uh, relationships? And as we read this, once again, reminder of what's going on. Paul, who has had an influence in the life of Philemon, we believe... From all, from all evidence that he was the one that led Philemon to Christ. And he had a good relationship with him from years past. Now has encountered Onesimus. Who has, who during this time has become a, a, a person who has, has a great relationship with Paul as well in the prison situation. So he has a relationship with both people. And he could have just said, you know, Onesimus, hang around with me, guy, because, you know, that's, that's the easy thing to do. But what he does, he says, you know, what you need to do, Onesimus, you need to get this relationship right because what you have done, and he's not con- uh, condoning 
slavery. He's just talking about the relationship aspect of things here. What he does, he says you need to get things right. And so Paul is working in this principle we talked about. Knowing two people, they're both believers. They have a problem with each other. He becomes a reconciler, a bridge builder. And we see how Paul does that here through these verses. The first verses, the first principle here is this. is when you're a bridge builder, you operate, you operate from love and not law. You operate from love and not law. It says in verse 8, beginning with verse 8 through verse, uh, in verse 9, it says, That is why I bold, am boldly asking a favor of you. Paul talking to Philemon. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. But because of, of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, when we read this, you know, Paul was a person of authority, right? I mean, he was the one who had planted most of the churches there. He was a person that could have demanded certain things because of his position, But he chose not to do that. He says, you know, I could choose to demand certain things, but what I want to choose to you, what I want to do is I want to appeal to you. And that's one translation. NIV uses the word in verse 9, I appeal to you. And what he's saying to you, instead of just saying, saying, hey, you do this because it's the right thing to do. You ever say that to your kids? Well, yeah, I mean, when you're a little kid, you, you do have a little authority there, Okay. I'm not talking about little kids now. I'm talking about working with adults here. But the issue is, is that as as your kids grow older, does that work anymore? The authority thing? I hate to tell you this, folks. If you you have teenagers, you still have an authority as as a parent. But that authority issue doesn't, that authority card doesn't work quite the way it used to. You try to appeal to them because, you know, and I've said this to my kids. You ever said this to your kids? Hey, you know, I've been through that. I know what's going on. I don't want you to have to go through the same thing. Learn from my experience. Guess what? They hardly ever do. They do their own thing. But Paul is saying to Philemon, he's saying to him, he said, I could demand that you do this because I'm the one that led you to Christ. I'm the one who kind of helped plan all these things. I could demand that we do this. But it's not about authority. He says it's about love. It's about appealing to someone out of love. You know, it's difficult to make people do anything, isn't it? Does it drive you crazy sometimes when you see people doing stupid things and, and you look at them, you're going, Ugh! and you, you know what needs to be. I mean, almost every time somebody comes to my counseling office, that's the way I feel. I'm serious because most of the time they know what they need to do. And in the process of sitting and talking to them, I'm going like, man, just do it. But the problem is, Paul says, you know, appeal to them, he says, he says, in love. And, you know, and love, so often when we think about love, we have this really kind of messed up idea of what love is. We think that love is just this warm, gushy feeling we have, you know, toward everybody. Real love acts. It doesn't demand, it acts. For instance, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Real love wants what's right. It's not just going to be satisfied to to maintain status quo. It's going to try to work through the situation. Love pleads. Law demands. I mean, there's a great illustration over in Philippians. You hold your Bible in Philemon. 
Don't get confused. Now, Philippians is just a little bit back from there. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, there's this story there about these two ladies, and they're having a conflict. They're believers. It says this in verse 2 of Philippians 4. It says, I plead with Judea, and I plead with Syntyche. I believe that's the right one to aim. It doesn't really matter. We don't know them anyway. Uh, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal fellows, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. What he's doing here, he's using the same terminology. I plead with you. I encourage you. Out of love, help these folks get back together. It's the same principle. Paul does it everywhere. He contends, he says to us that when we're to build bridges with people, we don't demand, because that doesn't work, but we, we work and operate from love. That word appeal in verse 9, uh, it's, it's, it, in the NIV, it says in, in verse 9, it says uh, that, that we're to appeal to them. That word appeal means where the legal right is not even in view, where you don't even worry about your authority. And it's interesting because Paul here says something else. He says, how does he appeal to him? He says, consider this as a request from me. And then he says, Paul, an old man. The word there, the Greek word there is the word presbyteros and presbyteros. And that means that's the word so often we, we uh, translate as elder. An elder doesn't necessarily mean old. It means mature. He's saying, he said, hey, Philemon, I love you. And I've been through this, and because of my maturity, and because also I'm a prisoner for the sake of Christ, please listen. And he pleads with him. So the first principle that we learn about building bridges, that as we go through this process of taking two people who we know that begin to be a bridge builder, is we don't demand. We operate out of love, not law. The second principle uh, we see is, is in verse 10 and 11. And is that, that's this principle. Believe that God can change people. Now, I'm going to ask you a simple question, but that doesn't have a simple answer. Do you believe that God can change people? In theory, yes, some of you will say. But how do we often operate? We say, yeah, God can change people, but when we reject people, we push them aside. What happens is we're saying, well, God, you couldn't possibly change that person. So often we say that we believe that God can change people, but we don't act that way toward people. And what we're talking about here and what Paul is talking about here is not just simply a theory. He's talking about reality because in verse 10 he says this, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus, verse 11, hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. What he's saying is, Paul says, not only do I operate from love and not the law, but I believe that God can change people. And in his life, I have seen Paul, Philemon, I've seen uh, God change Onesimus. In the midst of that, you may not see it because you hadn't been around. But as a friend, I want to let you know that God is changing people. He can change people. And we have to have that opinion and that belief before God can work and we can be used by God. Because so often we just write people off, do we not? Well, they've been that way for years. Couldn't possibly change. I mean, how, how many of you knew some people that were used to be complete idiots? 
But now they've changed and they've got some redeeming value now. Anybody? Don't look at your spouse. No, don't. <laughs> that was bad. Uh, <clears throat> or whoever else you're thinking about. You know, God, I believe that God, the Bible not only says that God can change people, but I know episodes where th- things where God has changed people. And that, that, that verse, verse 11, that's the key verse we talked about a couple of weeks ago. That key verse, formerly, but now. If we don't believe that, and we don't operate in that, that God, this person used to be this way, but as, as they, in Christ, now, but now, God is working in their life. He's changing. They're not there yet. They're still a work in progress. If we don't see that and believe in that and begin to work according to that, guess what? We'll just probably write people off. We won't give them any time. See, changed people believe God is changing people. Let me say that again. Changed people believe that God is changing people. And belief in the Bible is not just about a thought process. It's about an action that comes, that stems out of that thought process. See, it's not naive to believe that God is changing people. It's, it's simply, it's simply faith, having faith and trust in God that he, he is doing that. And so the attitude we have toward people has a huge thing to do. And Paul believed here, clearly he believed that, you know, I mean, I wonder when Philemon got the letter. And it says, guess what? Onesimus is coming back. And he's going, Onesimus! Not that useless, you know, and he probably, you know, went off on that track because he hadn't seen him for a long while. But Paul said, hey, I believe, you know, and it can be, sometimes we get scammed by people, right? You know, people can act like they've changed and they've really not changed. But the thing is, is we think the best. We think that God is actually changing people. We're not naive. We're optimistic that God is working in people's lives. Now, that's the second point. The second thing. First, that God wants us to be people who helps people to heal relationships, but and we operate from love, not the law, and we believe that God can change people. Now, as we continue on through the verses here, uh, verses 12, 13, and 14, we see something that's hugely important. It kind of goes along with this. And that is this, that the third principle in regard to how God wants us to operate in regards to helping heal relationship and build bridges is that we not only believe that God can change people, but we expect the best from, of people. We expect the best of people. Okay, now listen, be careful here. Paul was writing a letter to a friend of his. We don't know how long it had been since Paul had actually seen Philemon. We kind of got some ideas, but not. it's been a while. But because of the relationship he had, and he had built this relationship, he expected the best out of Philemon when he wrote this letter. He expected him to respond in a certain way because of, of his, because he had been, was in Christ. Verse 12 says this. Paul says, I am sending him, talking about Onesimus, back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm, while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news. And he would have helped me on, on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. That same theme and these other things we talked about it already. You see, one of the things that we have to understand and, and we have to expect 
And I think one of the reasons so often is we get what, we get what we expect so often, right? If you don't expect your kids to succeed, guess what? And you never encourage them, they probably won't. If you don't expect yourself, but we have this attitude, well, I can't do it, you probably won't. But here Paul is saying to Philemon, hey, I expect you to act like a Christian acts. I expect you to accept him back. I expect you to do this. See, Christians, people who are, who are followers of Christ, they're not perfect people. They're forgiven people, but they're also people who began to act and live a certain way. And one of the things that we need to expect people to do is we expect people to want reconciliation in their relationships. You know why that's important? I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. You're going like, boy, this is the simplest sermon in all time. I'm telling you stuff you already know. But the issue here is that so often in life, the thing is that blocks our relationship with God is our relationship with other people. Right? I mean, does the Bible say anything about that? Sure it does. It says if we're not right with other people, we cannot be right with God. I mean, uh, as the other day I was reading uh, in Matthew 6, and verse 14, it says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, guess what? It doesn't say guess what. It says, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's a direct correlation between our relationship with God and our relationship with people. Reconciliation is the very center and heart of God's heart. And reconciliation is so important that one of the things he wants us to do, and Paul talks about it here in multiple places, is this whole thing of the role of a believer, of being an agent of change and bringing about reconciliation and being a bridge builder. And one of the things that we need to expect for people, those who follow Christ, and that's where I said this works sometimes with people who are not Christians, but it really doesn't work as well because my expectations of them are not the same. My expectations of a non-Christian is not that they're not going to try to follow Christ's plan, Right? But a believer, not perfect, but in the process of becoming what God wants them to be, needs to be working on the reconciliation aspect of their life. And I expect them, people, to want reconciliation. And Paul expected that of Philemon. You know, (laughs) over all the years, the the problem so often is that we just like to blame. But I've been... so, so many times talk to people about marriage and marriage conflicts, and I've yet to see, I have yet to see one, I don't think it'll ever happen, I've yet to see somebody come into my office talking about their marriage conflict, and I'm still looking for the one marriage where one person was totally at fault. Now, there's always sometimes one person more at fault than the other person, but I've yet to see a marriage where one person, where, where just a marriage situation where there was conflict, where it's just one person that's totally at fault and the other person is totally blameless. We began to look at it. So there needs to be reconciliation. And one of the things we have to expect of people is expect them to do what God requires regardless of the cost. That's what Paul was talking to Philemon about. He was also talking to Onesimus. He said, Onesimus, what I expect of you is to do the right thing. You become, you're a new believer. But the one thing you need to do, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, because of the situation, because you're a slave, and you're still a slave, you can go back and get an F branded on your forehead, fugitive. Or you could be killed. But you need to do what's right because reconciliation will block your relationship. If you don't get reconciled with, with Philemon, it'll block your relationship with God. So you need to deal with it. And Paul said, hey, I'm going to do what I can do to help that. 
In regard to us, though, the, the, one of the reasons so often, like I said before, that we don't often follow this process of being reconcilers and being bridge builders, guess what? Because it's messy. It's messy. And it's going to take sacrifice because Paul here says, you know, hey, I'd love for you to just hang around Onesimus because you've been a great help here in prison. I don't know what he had done, you know, I don't know, if, you know what his deal was there. But he said he'd been a great help. And he really wished he'd hung around. But he says, no, I want, to, I want to send you back. I want you to, even though you'd be a great help here, I want to send you back. Now, that wasn't a great sacrifice, but it was some sacrifice. But when you decide to be a bridge builder between two people that you know, that you have a good relationship with, but they don't have a relationship with each other the way they need to have, when you decide to be a bridge builder, guess what? It's going to require sacrifice of you. It's going to require sacrifice of your time. It's going to require sacrifice that you may be rejected. You know, just because you do the right things for the right reasons doesn't mean everybody's going to follow the plan. You may be rejected. It may cause you to lose your good guy status. People won't think you're as cool as you used to be. I mean, oh, I was great with this person. I was great with this person. I'm trying to get them back together. So, man, there's a little conflict here. You can't make it happen, but you begin the process. It may be messy. But you cannot be right with God if you're not right with people. And God wants us to be agents of change. And it may cost a sacrifice. One of the most interesting stories I was reading for this message uh, online and actually looking at something was an illustration I had never heard before. Never heard a phrase before. I doubt you've heard the phrase before. If you did, you've much better read than I am. Uh, There's an illustration out of the history of Ireland. And and there's this this phrase called chancing one's arm. Anybody ever heard that phrase, chancing one's arm? I'm going, chancing one's arm? Sounds kind of weird. But it has everything to do with what we're talking about here. Because back in 1492, guess what year that was? Columbus, okay, you know, across the ocean blue. That's the only way I can remember that. And, 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 I, and that's the way I remember that deal. In 1492, in Ireland, there was a dispute between two of the leading families in Ireland. They were Their, their names were the Butlers, and the, and the leader of that family was a guy called the Earl of Ormond. And the Fitzgeralds and the leader of that family was a guy, a guy called the Earl of Kildare. And they had this ongoing uh, feud. I'm not just, I'm not talking about like yelling and screaming. I'm talking about killing each other for a number of years. And these two prominent families were continually in, in just battling each other and battling each other and battling each other. And one day something happened. Um, James, the nephew of the Earl of Ormond, was fleeing from Fitz, Fitzgerald's, the Earl of Kildare's soldiers. And in doing so, he took sanctuary. He and some people took sanctuary in St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin. And though he had the upper hand with his soldiers surrounding James and his men, Gerald, who was the leader of the Fitzgeralds, this one family, he wished to end the bloody feud. He had enough. He said, I need to be a reconciler, a bridge builder. I need to do something. And so he's on the outside of the door with his men surrounding these mortal enemies inside. But he said he wanted to end it all. And so he talks through the door and he says to, the, to James inside, he says, I want to end this. I want to negotiate a peace. But James didn't believe him. And I wonder why. You know, I asked, he thought it was just a ploy to get him outside so he could kill him. Because there had been enough of that killing going on. 
And he pleaded with James through the church's oak door to meet him and negotiate peace. But, but finally, Gerald thought of a solution. He said, you know, if the guy won't come out, I've got to do something to prove that I'm going to I mean business here. And so he had his soldiers cut a hole in the oak door. I guess they did it with their swords or whatever. And, uh, and he, as they hacked the hole through the door, he was talking to James inside. Gerald was talking to James inside. And he started talking to him about he, how he wished to see peace between the families. And so Gerald decided to do something to prove that he meant business. And so he thrust his arm through the door in the hole in the door. He said, I want to shake your hand to begin the, per- the pe- period of peace. Well, you know, let me tell you something. That was chancing his arm. Because on the other side was his mortal enemy with a sword who could have easily have cut it off. Because of his willingness to do that, to chance his arm, to chance to take a risk, what happened was it ended this bloody feud between two, tri- two, two clans of, of, of people there in Ireland that for years and years had cost many, many lives. You see, you, you put yourself at risk to bring about reconciliation. And it may be messy, but it's worth it. And it's what God calls us to do. The last thing is this, and this is going to be really brief and then we'll close. Sing closing song, go home. Um, is people who begin to build bridges also help others see a bigger purpose in all the issues of life. They help others to see a bigger purpose. In verses 15 and 16, it says this. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that he could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. When you are going through pain yourself, do you often see the bigger picture? What do you focus upon when you're in pain? You're, I mean, you're looking at stuff right in front of you. But one of the things you can do as a reconciler, as a bridge builder, you can step back and see the bigger picture of things. And one of the things that Paul was doing here, he had stepped back and he had looked at the situation. He said, well, you know, this thing hadn't exactly worked out the way, you know, Philemon or Onesimus had stolen something from Philemon. He had taken off. He had done all these things wrong. But he says in the midst of all that, what's happened is the bigger picture is this. It's in the midst of those that things, God has worked out a plan and through this whole thing where everything's going to be better than it was before. I mean, how many times in the Bible do we see that in the life of Joseph? Who simply said, you know, these things seem to be meant for harm. You read the Old Testament about this, but God used them for good. And you just go through and see time after time after time stories of how God does that. And then we can see that in our own life. Most of the time, though, when we're the one that's in conflict with someone else and we have this thing going on in our life, we need somebody else to help us to see the bigger picture. And one of the things that we can do as a bridge builder and as a reconciler, as a person who's changed, is we can help people to see that bigger picture of how God is at work. We can remind them of what God has done in their lives already and what he's doing, and we can see that and help them through this process. Now, let me say this. Reconciliation, reconciliation is at the center of God's heart. 
And there's no work in life, nothing you can do that will make a greater impact for God in this world than being a bridge builder and helping people to get their relationships right. Because they cannot have their relationship with God right if they have their relationships with people wrong. And God wants to use us. He wants to use us as changed people to help change people. He's called us to that. That's one of the greatest callings he has called us to. And so today I ask you, do you know of two people in your life who are believers? And you have good relationships with them, but they may have some problems with each other. God is calling you to help build bridges and help them be reconciled. You can't make it happen, but you can be used by God in the process. And God will not only bless them, but he'll bless you as well as you follow, follow his plan. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.